seated. Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, <clears throat> if you're here in person, if you're here online, then welcome as well. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm the pastor here. And uh, as usual, if you're visiting online or listening later, please leave a comment on the Facebook page, and we'd love to get connected with you <clears throat> in that way. We can't see you here today. Uh, so we're in our series, you might have guessed, Doors of the Bible. And <clears throat> we'll be in it a few more weeks, and I felt like I couldn't miss one door. I thought, well, should we wait until Easter to talk about the tomb, talk about the resurrection? And uh, then God just kept reminding me this week, I was like, are you sure, God, are you sure this is what we need to talk about? And he's like, like why can't you talk about the resurrection every day? That's what he told me. So, um, so why not today, and why not on any given Sunday? We can talk about that. So uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 6. And uh, we'll be talking about the tombs door. <clears throat> and the phrase I want you to remember is making good on promises. Maybe you've made a pinky promise before. If you've ever done that with maybe one of your children, um, then you know that's about the most important kind of promise. It's like the nth degree of promises. Um, you can't do it with yourself. It doesn't really work very well, right? You can pinky promise with somebody else, and that should be significant to us. If we make a promise, we should follow through with that. Many times we don't, though. Uh, because what we live in a fallen world and we make mistakes and there's things like traffic that keep us from getting to a place we said we would be on time. There's emergencies that pop up that keep us from fulfilling those promises, even some of the most important ones that we've made. And so today we'll see that God always keeps his promises. He said things in the Old Testament that all of them came true in the New Testament. As we look through all the way through Jesus' life and his death and his burial, we can't just leave it at that, right? (laughs) We said, well, he died, he was a good guy, and the end. That doesn't mean anything to us, right? As believers, the most important thing that took place is that he actually raised from the dead. The angel showed up and rolled back the tomb, and he said he's not here. And uh, that's what we'll get to talk about today. But if some of you were maybe wondering, as you looked at this gospel, and maybe you thought about promises this morning as we were even singing about it, what was the last promise you made? Maybe one you kept, uh, maybe one that you did not. There was a recent survey put out by Jen Worth, a company that uh, asked people questions, and one of them they asked recently was, how many of you keep your promises? And so apparently of Americans, 60% of Americans keep most of the promises they make. So we make a promise, we'll follow through with that. But about 40% don't. So you can look at that the other way and be like, wait a second, glass is almost half empty. Almost half of people don't keep their promises, but we should as believers. And so this is um, uh, one of the things that's noted in this article on promises. So the survey also provided insights into why people don't keep promises. So there's reasons that uh, men and women don't as well. So we don't keep promises for a variety of reasons. But men don't keep promises because there's simply not enough time or they forgot. Ladies, you probably heard that before, right? I forgot. I'm sorry, right? Uh, for, uh, for the ladies, there's a reason they don't keep promises, and they usually have to do with finance as well. We just are not going to be able to do that, right? And so those kind of things come up. Semi-normal, right, to not keep a promise even. A few other things that were said, and maybe you might ask yourself this question. Again, what was the last promise you made to someone? Think back to it. Maybe it was a simple well, yeah, honey, I'll take out the trash after dinner. And then you go into bed and you're like, wait a second. <laughs> There's something in the trash that we should deal with. And you've got to go out there and take it out, especially now. You've got to take it all the way to the can outside. If you're putting the trash out, that can be pretty cold, right? Um, or maybe you're an employer. Maybe you employ other people, you're a boss, and you tell someone, we'll give you that promotion, I promise. 
in six months. Have you ever had that happen to you? Well, it just didn't work out. Oh, we didn't have the resources, right? So a variety of reasons, right? Or maybe you tell your kid, I'll be there. I promise. We shouldn't break those, right? For sure. I'll be there. I promise. And so a few other notes the article makes. It says, uh, when we don't keep a promise to someone, it communicates to that person that we don't value them, right? You ever thought about that? You say you'll do something, or you'll be there, and then you're not, or you don't follow through with it. And what does that person feel like? They don't really care about me, right? Well, the good news is that when God makes a promise, he keeps it, and he values us tremendously. One of the other things I thought about when I was reading this is when we we don't keep a commitment, we don't fulfill a promise, and it mentions it here in the article, we also thought we don't value ourselves, uh, that we don't really hold any real view of integrity or what's valuable or what's honorable when we say we'll do something, and then we don't. But again, God keeps his promises, and we won't at times because, well, we've all fallen short of God's glory, right? So there's his grace, he's there to pick us up. But as believers, we should want to fulfill as many of those as possible. Maybe someone's made a lot of little promises to you, but, but what happens when they make that big promise? And they're like, I'll be there, I'll come through for you. And when they do, does that make us more likely to be like, you know what, I bet all the little promises that you're going to make or that you've already made, you will make in the future, you're probably going to follow through with those too, right? We know those people in our lives that are maybe more reliable when they say they'll do something, especially when it's something big, we know they're going to come through, right? Well, even greater than that, maybe that person is a mom or dad to you. Maybe it's a parent or it's a, uh, even a child, maybe a reliable child who says, I'll be there, <laughs> you know, I'll take care of it, right? Um, and they do. <clears throat> but God, no matter what, keeps all of his promises. And that's where we'll start, the promise with production. So that's the first fill in the blank, um, <clears throat> promise with production. So when Jesus raises from the dead, he, he pulls out the, all the stops. And this is for a variety of reasons. So when we look at the gospel's account here in Matthew of what takes place, Um, There's going to be all these people that are going to come after the fact that he's going to um, appear to, but we're going to look at just what takes place uh, here when the tomb is open and the angel shows up and he's got some words and there's some ladies there. And so this all plays into a really important part of the puzzle of why we should look at the resurrection and go, that really happened. Because as believers, I mean, even though we might think at times and other people who are outside of Christianity would, would maybe say, well, did that really happen? And and if you don't believe that, then there's no point in Christianity. If Jesus didn't get up, if he didn't conquer sin in the grave, um, then there's no point in being here. But the good news is that he did. <clears throat> so the women come first here in verse 1. It says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. There are a variety of reasons why you would have gone to a tomb after the fact. Uh, maybe just make sure, hey, can we put out some more potpourri? Can we do something, especially people who are buried above ground? Um, <clears throat> there were those kind of things that went on. And so a lot of times the ladies would go and they'd make sure that stuff was taken care of. But I, I thought to myself as well, when we read these accounts of the gospel, you think maybe the ladies might have showed up because they believed that something was going to happen. I think when you read throughout the storyline, you'll see that. And so they show back up, and <clears throat> they, they are um, uh, waiting to see what's going to happen. And there's this communication that takes place. So in verse 2, there's a dramatic entry. Right? Have you ever been um, maybe to, uh, I don't know, um, a boxing match or something? Or maybe um, you've been uh, maybe to some great political event or something, and when the candidate comes in or when the boxer comes in, there's music displays. Uh, maybe there's a light show or something, and, and those guys typically get those dramatic. Maybe there's confetti. I don't know. Uh, I never had that happen to me before, but whenever those guys enter the scene, you know, it's a dramatic entrance because that person's significant from what the world would say. 
And so Jesus, he's got a significant entry of somebody else who's going to come and share what took place. So in verse 2, it says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Pretty dramatic, right? Angel steps out of heaven, all the way down to earth, rolls back the stone. He sits on it, he's like, I got some good news. I got some good news. And so we get this word here for great. We've heard it before. Megas in the Greek is where we get our word for mega. We like using it for mega sports camp. Makes it sound better, right? It's not just a sports camp. It's a mega sports camp. That's our VBS, okay? So if you come, you're listening. You should come in the summer. Uh, You should come if you're here. (laughs) You know, we think about those things, and it's like, oh, that's great. It's wonderful. Well, it really was. And behold, there was a great earthquake. So something else happened. Not just the angel showing up on the scene, but there was this earthquake, and we see there was another one here in Matthew. And by the way, if you look throughout the story of the resurrection and just these like significant events that are taking place, they didn't just happen in the record of Scripture. And so we'll talk about that. There's other people, historians, secular historians that, that talk about these earthquakes and significant events that damaged buildings and killed lots of people. And we're like, should we be surprised by that? No, because the Bible's the truth. So it says in Matthew 27, 51 through 53, there's another earthquake that happened just a few days before this one. And it says, and Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. <laughs> A little scary, right? <laughs> to say the least. Uh, but, but what took place here just a few days before in the same region, there was another earthquake. Does it sound like a little earthquake? Like God of the universe died for our sins, and it says that the earth shook. I don't know. I mean, that sounds like a you know, pretty, pretty big event. And rocks split, and parts of structures, huge temple veils were getting torn in half. That doesn't sound like a small event to me, right? <clears throat> so you'd be right. And so... There are other people that uh, documented these events uh, in geology in regards to earthquakes. If you go to the Gospel Coalition's website, um, they reference this, and there's an article that talks about it. It says, Matthew's testimony that this earthquake occurred in this time and place is historically convincing as it is striking, as it sits well with what we know about earthquakes produced by the tectonic plates in the Dead Sea Rift Valley. So there were actually quite a lot of earthquakes and things that were taking place during that time. And so like some people, when they read that, they go, oh, that didn't happen, or that's just a story, or that's just a fairy tale. But when we look to history, we start looking at these primary sources, is what it's called in academia, of, of historians who are going like, actually, there was like a gigantic earthquake, in, and, this, and this thing happened. Um, it should make us think about this. So there's a variety of other earthquakes. There's a guy um, who was a chronographer. Uh, um, a guy who was just like saying, he didn't have computers, but he was, he was writing down things. Oh, hey, there was an event that happened. What, did, uh, what happened? Your pot fell off the thing and it broke? Okay, all right, let me write that down. So there were guys that were taking note of this, and one in particular, a guy named by John Malalas, he recorded an event in 65 BC. He talks about a series of earthquakes that hit Syrian Antioch causing a lot of damage to civic buildings. And there's another guy, Josephus, who is one that we go to and we think about a lot of events in Christianity. And so uh, he talks about an event, event as well that happened in 31 BC. Judea was hit by an earthquake so destructive it killed thousands of people. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds like a big earthquake, right? And so if you look at the history of geology in that area, there, there's a lot of earthquakes that have happened over the last 22 centuries um, but there are these documented ones that people talk about. So there's another one, the uh, same guy, John Malaeus, who talked about another earthquake in uh, 37 AD, which Emperor Gaius 
had to rebuild most of the city. Sound like significant events. So why don't when we read these primary secular sources, people who recorded things that happened during the biblical times that line up with our story, with the story of the Bible, uh, shouldn't that encourage us? Shouldn't that make us go like, well, I guess the Bible's more than just a nice storyline. Wait a minute, people in history said that too. They didn't just say like, yeah, okay, Jesus was a real guy, like he was really born, he really lived this life, he really was crucified, and he really was put in a tomb. But when we get to that point, we have to go, but there's more to the story. And Christianity is significant to us because of what happens next. And so what happens? Well, there's a messenger that shows up. Now, when you look at the Old and in the New Testament, there's a variety of messengers, right? So some you can attribute to God's actual presence. So a messenger of the Lord, sometimes that's actually Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. Uh, and then sometimes it's an angel. So here what we see is the word in the Greek for uh, angels, angelos, uh, messenger, of the Lord, Kurios. And so this is very clear that this is a guy who's, he's shown up before. Um, a lot of people attribute this messenger to a guy named Gabriel, Gabriel, uh, the archangel. And he shows up at the beginning uh, of our story here for Jesus' birth, and he's going to announce something, some, some good news. And he also ends up talking to Mary and Joseph. And so there's some things that are taking place at the beginning of Matthew. In Matthew 1.20, it says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so we see these messengers throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, and they're proclaiming great things that are about to take place or they have already taken place. So the angel shows up and he gets the dramatic entry. Uh, he, he gets the, you know, all the lights, lights from heaven, and then the shaking and things that are going on of the earthquake. <clears throat> But now what happens? Well, we've got the promise with production, so uh, quite a production that takes place, and then here comes the style. So production with, or promise with, style. And so the angel uh, appears, and it, there's this highlighted presence. So it's not just like, well, you know, when the guards were there, when, you know, the, the ladies were there, was it, are you sure it was an angel? Was it somebody else? There would have been no distinction. Yes, this was a heavenly being who showed up, and he's going to proclaim a message of victory. So it says in verse 3, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. So this is a, similar to a description in Daniel chapter 10 where this messenger is described similarly as a, a, a messenger who's a <clears throat> describing a battle that's going on both in earth and in the spiritual realm. And, um, and many times there's future things that the angels talk about, and, uh, but then there's present things too. And this is a message that's not confusing. It's not like, a, here's what's going to happen in the future. You know, Daniel, let me give you this vision. And uh, then try to explain it to people. And they're like, wait, what's going to happen? <laughs> We're not going to be around for that, okay? All right, we'll, we'll try to picture it now. Uh, but, but he's got some news about present time. He's not talking about what's going to take place. He says, hey, I've got some good news. Something happened. It's going to change the world forever. And so what does he say? Well, verse 4, uh, there's this overwhelming message for those who don't have faith either, because there's always those miraculous things that happen for even people who are unbelievers, and like, I just don't know what happened. I, I just can't explain it. And so it says here in verse 4, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Mm. If this was you, this might have happened as well. Were the guards anticipating it? Well, we know that the religious leaders were certainly anticipating it because they went to the governing authorities at the time uh, in Rome, and they're like, hey, we're pretty concerned this thing is going to get out of hand really quick. Like, the disciples are going to come, and they're going to steal his body, so we really need some extra help, some guards. And the Roman authorities are like, you have guards? 
you know, make it secure, but put guards at the tomb. And so they do that. And then sure enough, these guards, <laughs> poor guys, yeah, they're there and the angel shows up, rolls back the stone and they're like, uh, they're just overwhelmed, right? About what's taking place. But maybe they weren't surprised. And if you read on throughout the, the gospel account, just a few verses later, the guards are like, we, like here's what happened. Like, we, <laughs> we can't explain it. And you know what the religious leaders do? They say, here's a bag of money. Tell everybody this is what happened. And don't, don't worry, right? You know, because this, was, this is a lie, right? We want you to tell the lie. And, and if, you know, if the governing authorities, the Romans, they come to you and they're like, hey, what really happened? Because we, we've heard a lot of stories about this guy walking around uh, who's Jesus. And uh, we were just wondering what happened that night. Don't worry. We'll smooth things over is what they say, basically. Take the bag of money. You know, do your thing. Get out of here. But they told him the truth about what took place. That'd be hard for me to do. If I saw that, I'd be like, you know what? <laughs> Can't explain it, but this is what happened. <clears throat> so he rolled away the stone. And here's the last part of this. Promise with proof. So we've got this promise with production, the angel showing up. We've got uh, this promise with style. So when, when, when God does things, right? He does things in tremendous fashion, uh, especially as we see throughout the Gospels. There, there's no lack of evidence. There, there shouldn't be this ability for us as believers or even as the secular world to go, but there's all these evidences. There's all these things that happen. There's all these people who speak about this event and all the other things that surrounded the resurrection that did take place. So why is it a hard step for us? Why is it a hard step for people in general to go, I know all these other things happened, but I just can't get to that point where he's not there anymore, where he rose from the dead. <clears throat> well, here's what it says in verse 5. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. I'm having a normal conversation. These guards are terrified. The ladies are like, okay, yeah, tell us, tell us more. Uh, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Now, why does that happen? It's like the angel shows up on the scene and everybody's terrified. If you saw an angelic being, you might be terrified as well. Uh, the guards are there and the women are like, hey, don't, don't be afraid. Right? We've heard that before. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Right? He's got good news. For him. <clears throat> and by the way, if you, if you read these accounts and you think like, you know, why, why were the women there? Well, the disciples were hiding, right? So there's something that was going on where, where Jesus died and then uh, the, the Jewish leaders and authorities are looking for other people to, to basically do the same thing too. There was a lot of persecution that was going to take place after this, even after Jesus came back, but, but they're like, hey, we don't want to be anywhere. That's why Jesus had to, when he came to them, he, he just appeared in the room. The door was locked, so he shows up. But here... Angel says, hey, good news, don't be afraid. I know that you're seeking Jesus. And um, a lot of people, when they come to this uh, story, this account, who are not believers, who are trying to debunk Christianity in the Bible, will say, well, I mean, it was made up, right? I mean, there, you know, surely all that time has passed, and uh, they could have made up this elaborate story. But I can tell you from a contextual perspective, if you're back in this uh, first century A.D. time period, <clears throat> women were not considered valuable witnesses. And so if you were to go in like court of law and they would bring everybody in, okay, now tell us what happened, guards, if the guards were forced to tell the truth. So these guys would have had to say, yes, the angel showed up, the tomb got rolled back, Jesus was not in there. But if you brought these ladies in who are followers of Jesus, family members of Jesus, and <clears throat> say, would you, you know, uh, tell us what you think, they, they wouldn't have asked that question. They wouldn't have even brought the ladies in. They were second-class citizens. Their opinion didn't matter, and certainly whatever they said couldn't be counted on as truth. I'm glad that's not the case anymore, 
But then nobody would have gone, hey, um, <clears throat> all right, guys, uh, disciples, let's get together. This thing went really bad. Jesus, he died. We thought, you know, he's going to be the king. He's going to take over everything. And I know he kept saying he was going to do that. Yeah, but then it happened. So we got to come up with this story. Okay, so some of our ladies went to the tomb. This is going to be good. Everybody's going to read it. And they're going to be like, wow, that's, that's awesome. That's amazing. No, the people at that time, if they were trying to say hey, the story was made up, they would have said, Peter went to the tomb. Or this other person went to the tomb. Or Matthew, yeah, Matthew, he's writing his gospel. He's like, I think it'd sound better if I went. Because then everybody would be like, that must have been true. Because a guy showed up. No. Jesus uses very uncommon methods. And contextually, if we're looking at history, he, he shows us why these things have got to be true. Because he used uncommon people in a time that maybe that wouldn't have been the case. Then we look to um, guys like the church fathers who were, who were like one person or two people removed from the disciples who, like what Matt talked about, you know, I love that. All of these guys, except for John, who went to an island and technically he was martyred, although he, he died on the island of Patmos while he was writing the book of Revelation, uh, all the other disciples were killed through martyrdom. Now, <clears throat> who of you would, would say you believe something enough to die for it? And certainly if someone just says, you know, if it's not that big of a deal, just say you don't believe in Jesus. But all these disciples went to their deaths, and there was a guy by the name of uh, Irenaeus, Irenaeus. He was a church father, and he's a student of Polycarp. So remember Polycarp, uh, Bishop of Smyrna. Uh, he's talked about in the book of Revelation, and he's a student of Polycarp. So he's following his life. He's with him at a young age, and here's what he says. But Polycarp also was not only instructed by the apostles and conversed with many who had seen Christ, but was also by the apostles in Asia appointed a bishop in the church in Smyrna, whom I saw in my early youth, for he tarried a very long time. And when a very old man he was, he gloriously and most nobly suffered martyrdom. He departed this life, having always taught the things which he had learned from the apostles." and which the church has handed down, and which alone is true. And this is this book that he wrote against heresies. There were all these people, even within the first century, that were going, yeah, we know all these other things happen, and for sure, you know, you know yeah, we, there were so many witnesses, but to the resurrection, you know, that must not have happened. And Irenaeus is like, look... <laughs> Like, you know, I, I was there with Polycarp. He was a disciple. Uh, he was a disciple of the disciples, of the apostles. And they went to their deaths. Who dies? Who is a young man who's being discipled by Polycarp? Another church father says, you know, I watch all these guys die. Like, live long lives, serve the Lord, be tortured, and then come to the point in their life where, they, where, where somebody said, all you have to do is say you don't believe. And you can live the rest of your life in peace. Do people die for nothing? No, not usually. If something's not true, if you don't believe something, then it's easy to go, you know what? <laughs> I'm done. It's not worth it. For the gospel, for what Arrhenius says here, and he says, I love this at the end, and which alone are true. People don't die for things that aren't true. And this should be one of the greatest evidences of the resurrection for us. And we'll close it in verse 6. It's the good news, because he's not there. He's not here. We always hear that when we walk in on Easter Sunday. He's not there. He's not here, right? This is, uh, this is the realization that takes place. So in verse 6 it says, He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. <laughs> Angel's like, hey, 
Come take a look. You can see it for yourself. He folded everything up real nice for you. You can come in and check it out. He's not here. He raised from the dead. This word here in the Greek is uh, for risen is uh, a gyro. It means to be raised up. There's no question here. He said he's not here for he's risen as he said. So we break our promises all the time, don't we? Hopefully less than other people who don't have a, a moral structure or system of Christianity. But we do break promises from time to time. And the angel says, hey, he's not here. He's raised like he said he was going to do. Because God keeps all of his promises. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it, should, uh, it should be an encouragement. And then more than that, he didn't say, okay, no, 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 no. He's raised. He, but don't look. Don't go in there and look. <laughs> no, he says, go, go check it out for yourself. Come and see the place where he lay. There was a, a movie I saw recently <clears throat> uh, called Silence. Um, it actually has some pretty well-known actors in it. Um, I would recommend it. Uh, it has uh, Andrew Garfield, uh, uh, what's his name, Danny, Andy Driver. I think he was like the bad guy in Star Wars or something, the most recent one that came out, and then Liam Neeson. And um, it's about th- these individuals, these three guys. They're priests, and uh, they're from Portugal, and so the one, uh, <clears throat> Father Herrera, he, he goes to Japan to share the gospel, the Liam Neeson character. And so he goes there, and the, you know, they get this final letter from him, and it's not good. Uh, Christians are being persecuted. Things are very, very bad. And so these two young men, these priests who have been discipled by Father Herrera, they, uh, they, they say, we, you know, we, need to, we need to figure out what happened, you know, where he went. The, the mission of carrying the gospel to uh, Japan is really important to us. Now, just to give a little bit of context to this too, this was at a time right around where the, the Protestant Reformation was about to take place in the 1500s. So these guys were Catholic priests, but they were sharing the good news of the gospel. Now, there were still elements of, of things that we don't practice today in Christianity that were kind of being fed out because people were going like, okay, like indulgences, no, that's not really in the Bible. Uh, uh, you know, should we should we really pray for people who have already passed? Like uh, that sh- should be a decision that they make to put their faith and trust in Jesus or not. So they were working through all these things at the time, but what they knew was the central message of Christianity. Jesus came. He lived a sinless life for us. He died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. And, and people were getting converted in Japan like crazy. And the, the authorities, they were coming in, and, and they're going, this is not right. We can't do this. You know, no, no, no. You're going you're gonna to ruin our system. Um, we don't worship the God of Christianity. And they went there, and, and the whole story is just about seeing believers in Japan who uh, are being persecuted for f- their faith in gruesome ways, who are being martyred. And, and all throughout the story, they kind of go throughout the process, and they, they get to this point where they say over and over again, they're persecuting other Christians, and they take the, the fathers, they take these Christian characters who are sharing the gospel message and say, just say you don't believe, and we'll stop torturing those Christians in front of them. Just say you don't believe. It's, is it really that big a deal? They would put a stone in front of them on the ground that had Jesus' image, and they would say, just, just lightly, you don't even have to step on it hard, just lightly tap your foot to Jesus' face, and over and over again said, how can we say that something's not true when we know that it is? <laughs> and so it's kind of cool to follow the storyline uh, throughout this. Um, the uh, Andrew Garfield character, he's having this conversation with God. And so he's actually praying, and then God's responding to him. And he's like, Lord, give me the strength. I don't want my brothers and sisters to suffer. Give me the strength. And God actually speaks back to him. It's kind of interesting that a, a secular film like this would, uh, would show some of these things. But he, he talks back to him, and he encourages him. And he says, it's okay. 
it's okay. You're here for a reason. <clears throat> but we might think that these things are so far removed from us. We're like, you know what? Yeah, there's persecution in the first, second, third centuries. Church fathers, like, yeah, they were directly connected to Jesus. So it's so easy for them because they had all this evidence. And it was like, you know, well, my, you know, my, my relative said that he saw Jesus. And so I must, I must believe. But this is still going on today. We think in the Western world in America, it's like, well, nobody's dragging us out of here because we say we believe in Jesus. I don't know, that might happen one day in our lifetimes, but not today. We walk in freedom. <clears throat> and so I was just wondering, I looked up a few things and, um, <clears throat> just to give us some perspective because there's, there's, there's people today that are in the world that are going to be asked this question, do you believe? Like, is it, is it really true? Is it that important to you? Do you know this for a fact? And someone will be looking down them at the barrel of a gun or some other way to end their life and say, all you have to say, is you don't believe. If you were to go to Nigeria today, <clears throat> 17 Christians would lose their lives just for being believers. Someone would come into their village and they would say, where are the Christians? Do you believe? Do you not? If you do, it means the end of your life. In North Korea, of the 400,000 Christians that are said to be in North Korea, 50 to 70,000 are in labor concentration camps right now many of which will die in that place. And we think how easily we abuse or we think of the grace that we have and we think it's not a big deal. Well, it is. And people have been paying with their lives for years. And, and so when we, when we go to these accounts and we, like, we get together on Easter and we're like, you know, he's risen, like we should celebrate that. But then we should also think about this cost that, that when the angel showed up and he gave the good news, as they do, there was this promise with production. There was a promise with style. But the promise came with proof, too. Like, God didn't just show up. He didn't send Jesus to die for our sins on the cross. He didn't, he didn't just raise from the dead and be like, you know, <clears throat> not going to provide any evidence. I'm not going to provide any truth. I'm not going to provide anything in history that would point back to that event. And people would go, even who aren't believers, and go, like, something happened there. Like, something changed. Some significant event took place. But maybe you find yourself in some other part of the world. And you're forced to make a choice. Christians in India <clears throat> are faced with this choice now. If you try to convert anyone, if you want to share the gospel, if you want to tell people about this Jesus that you believe in, you're going to go to jail and you're going to be there for about 10 years if you share your faith, if you tell other people about what Jesus is doing. Maybe you won't die. Maybe you won't be martyred on the spot. But you'll be sent to jail. You'll be put in a concentration camp. Or maybe in a place like Nigeria, you might. Find yourself at the end of life, having to say, I do or I do not believe. A lot of great promises have been made over time. Uh, maybe it was a promise for a dad to return home from war. Maybe a vow of marriage that didn't work out. <clears throat> maybe a great and valuable gift that you were promised that you did not receive. But unlike all those other promises, God's promises are always true. The good news is he got up from the grave. And we don't have to, we have to sit here and wonder or go, you know, God, if I could just be good enough, if I could do enough things, um, I, want, I want you to think of me in that way so that I will enter he heaven on my good merit. No, for, for all these believers who will be asked this question today, they won't be thinking to themselves, well, I've, I've, been, pretty, I've been pretty good, so yeah, I believe in God because, and I will stand before him because of these things. And I, I believe in what Jesus has done for me. And Christians all throughout history, since the resurrection took place, and they were literally eyewitnesses to this, said, I can't say that it's not 
true because it is. And I'd be willing to pay the price for it. Right? That means something to us, right? On this side of, of the spectrum in 2023, we look back and we go, what are all these evidences? What are all these signs in the world, history that's taken place that people have recorded because we can rely on this? Because God he makes promises and he fulfills them and he gives us the proof to say, it's true and we can believe it and we can follow Jesus with our lives because of it. And so maybe you're here today or you're listening online, you're like, wait a second, this is not, <laughs> this is not what I was expecting from church today. You know, I might have to pay with my life one day, maybe, maybe not. Let's use our freedom well. And maybe if you're here and you haven't thought about some of these difficult things, uh, maybe just the next step for you is to go, you know what? There's just too much evidence not to believe that Jesus Christ came, that he lived a sinless life and he died for me on the cross and he got up three days later and it changed the world. It can change your life today too. So if you're listening, maybe if you're here in person, I'd love to be able to talk to you about that. Uh, The scriptures tell us that if you would believe in what Jesus has done for you on the cross, and in his burial, and his resurrection, you can be saved. It's as simple as that. Are there a lot of other things that come after that? There are a time you might have to say, oh, I believe no matter what, even if I have to pay the ultimate price. Maybe so. But maybe you just need to take a first step today. And if that's you, I'll be here. I'd love to talk with you afterwards, okay? Let me pray for us. We'll close. Uh, Father, we uh, come to you today. And um, God, we we thank you for your promises. Um, Unlike the promises that we make, which we break all the time, God, I pray uh, that um, we would be solidified in your truth, the promises that you made, and the promises that came true that so many people have seen throughout history. Uh, God, your disciples, church fathers, um, those who came after, who watched faithful men and women who believed in you pay with their lives. Um, God, we pray for other believers um, all over the world that have suffered great persecution and today will have to stand before someone who uh, who's giving them the option to make the ultimate choice. Do you believe? Do you not? If you do, then you die. And so I pray that we would um, not take our grace for granted, um, not take our position and our salvation for granted. Um, God, that this would motivate us to do something uh, with our faith. For those who will be forced to uh, make that ultimate choice, that ultimate decision, and we pray that the proof uh, would go before them that um, as those give up their lives for you, uh, we be reminded that people don't die for nothing, for things they don't believe in. Um, Let this be one of the greatest evidences that you've given us. Um, God, I pray that um, we would have faith that would be strong and whole as well, that we would take a step outside of just our context and our freedom of coming to this place on Sunday. And remember, um, there may be a day we pay that price. Uh, I pray that you would uh, make us strong and steadfast to know that your truth is true and there's nothing else that is in existence other than that. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.